I'm a da- I'm a Dale Jr. fan. All right, hello, and how do you do, sports fan? Welcome to uh, episode 17 of the Trib Sports Radio for the week of August 11, 2014, recording live from the seventh floor of the Salt Lake Tribune offices. Today, we've got uh, old pal Aaron Falk here. What's up, Benny? Uh, Kevin Winter-Morris, back from sabbatical from the southern part of the state. Always good to see you. And uh, old friend of the show, Kyle Goon. How you doing, Kyle? Hey, Benny. Hey, it's good to see everybody here today. Got a nice little show for you. Uh, we're going to be doing a little RSL talk, talk about the University of Utah, and uh, we'll be touching upon the O'Bannon case as well as the Power Five. So let's get things rolling. Uh, Aaron, you have been, since you've been on sort of a high, uh, not really covering the Jazz so much, you've been doing a lot of RSL work this last month. Uh, you saw Romando set a pretty big record. And uh, <laughs> good job, you got his name right, Benny. Yeah, <laughs> so um, Romando, uh, he uh, set the new record. Talk to us about that and talk to uh, how was it speaking with Nick? Uh, yeah, so a couple weeks ago in, in Colorado, he tied the major league shutout record um, at 112 last Saturday, I guess Saturday night. He broke it at 113. It was Previously held by Kevin Hartman, they also a uh, UCLA Bruin like Romando. Uh-huh. Um, Romando did it in something like fifty game, fifty five games less than Hartman did it. Um, pretty, you know, incredible record for him. But I, I think kind of like the thing that that really stood out to me after was just how much all these guys think that Romando has left. I mean, he could he could absolutely crush this record. Um, he's thirty five. They think you know he's got. Four or five years left of of good good goal, competitive goalkeeping. goalkeeping. I mean, you know, barring you know some sort of injury, um, he's been really healthy throughout his career. Though he's not someone that's that you know a freak thing can happen to anybody, but he's been a pretty healthy guy. And and um, I, I think you know he's kind of you've seen his career really kind of blossom late um, to this you know being part of this World Cup team. Uh, and, and just kind of he's kind of gaining momentum. It seems like even even in his later years here. Um, I mean, when he when he came here, 2006, he was a, he was totally the undercard in in this trade, right? Freddie Adu was this teen phenom, and, yeah, and that's yeah. what RSL was getting. And Romando was a throw-in. They actually cut him at one point. Like you know, they, they parted ways with him. He was allowed to go back. He was living out of a, out of a hotel, you know, suitcase and hotel, and finally came back to Salt Lake. And you know, he's been the face of that franchise ever since it's, it's uh you know it's it's pretty intriguing story for for this guy who's you know late in his career being recognized as as the probably the best goalkeeper the league has ever seen as somebody who's watched a lot of soccer i mean and i think we've all seen at least at the high school level here but with the rsl uh how physically demanding is that position for him i mean doesn't he, i mean you talk about four or five years so is it possible he could play upwards of seven to ten more I, I don't I don't know that that's you're getting pretty uh, Benny how old are you Benny you're 40 I'm 40 40 <laughs> and you, I, could you do it oh I can barely walk up the stairs without <laughs> huffing and puffing <laughs> and the idea of standing between the pipes with uh, world-class athletes launching balls at me is not appealing whatsoever yeah I, I think that's it I mean it's obviously it's not as as physically demanding as some of those other positions in in terms of you know endurance and, and stamina and things like that but uh, you know, it's still, like you said, professional athletes, and and he's got, you know, it's not it's not going to be easy to be forty five year old goalkeeper. Although yeah. I suppose it could happen. With uh, you've had you've obviously had an opportunity to speak with him and stuff. Uh, has he is 
does he give a lot of praise to the, the team, the organization, or uh, how does he kind of uh, summarize his accomplishment he's gotten? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's the, the shutout record is it's got to be a product of team play, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and he was pretty good uh, Saturday after after the game to mention some guys by name: um, Chris Wingert, Nat Borchers, Eddie Pope. Um, you know, Saturday night he, he I mean he broke the record. He he made two saves. He need, he needed to only make two saves because the defense was you know on spot. Yeah, it was was really good on Saturday night. Um, so that's you know just just an example of you know sometimes you make five saves or seven saves and you know it's an incredible game. Sometimes you need to make one or two and and it just just depends. So obvi- obviously uh, a product of you know good work from from guys all around and and longevity as well. But I mean you know, he's been in the league for a lot longer than you know some guys and and uh to be able to to do this into 35 and and then in maybe into 40 uh that that plays a part into it with uh uh, msl soccer not having the huge paychecks that you would see in basketball baseball and football and stuff like that is it uh, possible he could finish his career off here with rsl as he expressed interest in remaining here in utah or is is this could it be could he be uh keeping for some other organization in the upcoming years um, I'm not sure what his contract situation is. I'm trying. I, I think they extended him a year ago. The, and the thing is, with Major League Soccer, every year is like a team option. So uh-huh. I, I suppose that that you know something could happen. I don't see him going. He's obviously not going. You know, to some other country. He's not going to go play for the Tijuana Football Club. Very doubtful. Um, <laughs> he couldn't be. <laughs> uh, you know, and so I, I think you know, it, it's obviously up to ownership and, and management but it seems like that's a guy who's done so much and, and if he is playing at a high level it seems like they would they would be hard-pressed to let him go oh so well and obviously he'll be between the pipes tomorrow when they have the friendly with Tijuana and uh, I, you know I'm not sure I'm not sure about that I mean okay. it's you know uh, you don't want to get guys hurt in in a friendly um obviously you know you you want to put it put on a show for fans but I, I have no idea what what that lineup will look like tomorrow Chris who is back from uh, – so he survived the tour, <laughs> the tour of, Utah, of Utah, all seven <laughs> stages of it. Um, he's back out there today uh, at training, and, and we'll know more later. Before we move to the Utes really fast, let me ask you a question. Did you ever have to cover the tour of Utah? I covered one day, Wednesday. I, I, so he, Chris covered six of the seven stages. I, I covered Wednesday. I went out to uh, Miller Motor Sports Park, and uh-huh. in, in the directions to get there are follow Google Maps, <laughs> laugh, Maniacally, because there's no possible way that that's where that is, and then that is exactly where that is. It's so far out there. We were talking. Mm-hmm. We were talking last week. Uh, we we'll jump on to Kyle really fast. We were talking last week about you covering the uh, the Jazz and going on the road and stuff like that. I'm just really curious. I didn't read your coverage on it, but how does one write? How long was the stage for starters? And also, uh, where where do you find the angle on that story? It was. 118.2 miles. They started in Lehigh and ended up in uh, near Tooele at, at the Motorsports Park. I, I just drove to Tooele. I mean, there's no point in me, you know, I don't know, watching these guys leave the the, the starting gate or whatever. Um, and then they race for hours, like four and a half hours or something like that. You, I sit there and Google what a Peloton is. Um, and uh, And then at the end, you know, the last two minutes of it matter, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Obviously, it all matters, but the last two minutes, they they go into and everybody that's been leading for four hours is falling away, and you know, two two guys sprint to the finish, and uh, and then you 
hope they speak English. <laughs> you know, although you, it, you, listen to Aaron talk about this, you know, I really feel like you know soccer's really ca- caught on this last World Cup. Cycling really has the great potential to be the next great snobby American sport. Is that right? Are we? Just, sa- we need to start sending our kids to these cycling academies. <laughs> Is that what it's going to take? <laughs> Peloton. <laughs> Peloton. Peloton. I, I do think uh, I, I will give the tour of Utah credit. This year they, they did have a stage with a little bit of uh, um, that was on a dirt road. And I saw some of the photos that one of our fine photographers took. There were some serious wipeouts there. That Oh, you have know. you seen have you seen the video of, of this one wipeout? I'll show it to you guys after. I'll we should, we'll, uh, that we'll that makes for a great podcast. This, this guy I know, I know. I'll explain it. He's riding along at, what, 35 miles an hour? I don't right. know, 30 miles an hour. Really good clip. And he's on the, on the left side of the road, and his handlebar clips a pole. And he <laughs> front flips at 30 miles an hour and takes out another dude. And, you know, it, it's obviously, I mean, we, I mean, we're kind of mocking. We're making fun of him, and we, we well, don't want to make – Well, yeah, no, we don't and, want, and, and of the hurt. race, and it's an incredible, yeah. like, yeah. athletic achievement. It's just – Oh, yeah. It's, it's very – you know, it's it's for a select group of people. It's not for everyone. No one's – not everyone wants to watch four and a half hours of people cycling. It's, you, you know what struck me the first time I watched Tour of Utah is how skinny these guys are. They're just, like, skinny and but powerful and, and just kind of endurance athletes who just who, who just have a lot of muscle packed in – a little bit of space. Oh, and I'm sure they could eat 10,000 calories a day, and, no and you know, and it's gone but, by the end of the next yeah, stage. Yeah, I mean, it's just just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't ride a bike 118.2 miles in a month. <laughs> they did. That's it. my challenge to you. That's I'm I'm challenging you. And not gonna happen. They could they do it, and then they do it again the next day. It, yeah. it is it is remarkable what they accomplish, and to be able to do that for seven days is is incredible, but. Yeah, and, and and then you know you throw in a challenge. Sure, hey guys, good luck on the dirt road. You know, it, it the 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 tires that they're riding on are so small. It's not like they're riding mountain bikes. Yeah, it's, you know, and you're going 35 miles per hour, and then ooh, dirt road, and that's how you wipe out. I, I should have asked him about seat technology. I rode a bike for like the first time in three years, <laughs> a couple of, a month ago. Uh-huh. Thirty minutes on a bike, maybe the next the next day, I didn't. You know, you don't want to sit down. It's, it's horrible. It's saddle right. sore. Yeah, it's it's awful. So I don't know. Anyways, let's let's move on. All right, all right, moving on here. Kyle, uh, talk to us about the quarterback competition that's happened at the University of Utah. Well, um, or is there a quarterback competition? <laughs> so the media gets to see twenty minutes of each practice, and and throughout our what uh, hundred twenty minutes uh, plus that we have we've had to see these guys. I think I think it's kind of clear that Travis Wilson has been uh, the clubhouse leader, so to speak. Um, you know, he he's looked more accurate, more consistent. Um, he looks a little more poised. Some of Kendall Thompson's plays are breaking down. Um, you know, he's still clearly learning um, the offense, I think. And, you know, he, he's a better scrambler and a better escape artist type guy. Um, but just, you know, it, it, it's just no competition for having that experience and having done it um, from what we have been able to see and we've been able to hear that you know, in the rest of practice sessions, it's that's pretty much been the case that Travis Wilson has consistently looked like the better guy. But you know, the 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 Utes are probably not going to firm up their depth chart till Saturday, um, so there's a little time for Kendall Thompson to uh, you know compete with him. Um, I, I I would say I feel pretty safe about the idea of Travis Wilson starting 
uh, in week one against Idaho State. I think I think that that's what it boils down to. But Kendall Thompson could also do some good for himself because it's not also clear that he's the backup. So Connor Manning has been having a good couple weeks, or a good week rather, and uh, he's still trying for that number two job. So there could be another kind of quarterback competition coming into play as we wrap up these last two weeks of camp. As we're coming up with like two more weeks before they actually have uh, they, they host uh, Idaho State. I mean, is it any sense at this point for them not just to say it's Wilson? get behind it, and then the other guys fall in line with it. Well, uh, reports, I mean, is it from a coaching standpoint? Reports coming out of practice today say that um, Travis will, well, I'm sorry. The reports say that uh, Kyle Whittingham wants to firm up the depth chart for sure by Saturday, and he wants to have all, all his starters kind of named. And, and for sure, um, so they have two weeks left of camp, and then one week of game prep. So definitely by that week of game prep, they want to have their starter in mind. And the difference is that um, you know, just just getting the reps is really important. Um, when you're a starter, you got to have the reps with the guys you're going to start with, mm-hmm. like the number one guys. So um, right now, it's been from what we've been able to see, it's been kind of a 50-50 situation, and they've been putting a mix of first and second string guys um, in the end of end of uh, practice media sessions. So really, what they're going going to want to do building up to that Idaho State game is say. These guys are the ones. They're going to take 70% of this practice snaps, and we're going to concentrate on getting them ready to start. So that's what, is, what you want to do. Well, with Kendall, what do you think he has to do to get that starting nod? Just uh, execute, execute, execute? That, and I also think Travis would have to have to play poorly. Uh, I mean, that, and that's just the truth because, you know, there is sort of this element that Travis Wilson has been in the program for three years now, um, and and – He's really a well-liked guy. He's a leader on the team and, and has been for some time. He was a captain last year. He's probably going to be a captain this year. Um, and and he has that experience. And, and I think also a sort of underrated factor in this quarterback battle is that Whittingham really has a lot of trust for Travis Wilson. And because he's been the starter before, because he knows how to carry himself, because Whittingham knows, hey, this kid can win games for me. So I think there's a lot of elements that are really just in Travis Wilson's favor and, it, and that maybe don't even necessarily have to do with how well Kittle Thompson is playing in the first week. So he's, he's got the lead over, over Thompson, obviously. But what are you seeing and hearing in terms of Travis Wilson now versus, you know, compared to Travis Wilson in 2013 and, and the guy who threw, you know, six interceptions to UCLA and, and what, what, what improvements, I mean, what, what, what makes them think he's going to make well, this leap? Well, that's why, I mean, I think that's why fans are, um, some fans have been a little tepid about embracing Travis Wilson as the starter because they remember, hey, this guy threw a bunch of interceptions against UCLA. He threw, what, 20 interceptions last year in, in just a couple games. So, and, and he he had to leave the season early because of his injuries. So twenty interceptions—that is a significant number. Um, and you know, fans just want to make sure that this guy can take care of the football and and kind of do what it takes to to make sure he's not given away. Because a lot of fans feel like if they the, those turnovers didn't happen, they might have won some of those games. They might have won the UCLA game. Mm-hmm. They might have they might have won some of those games. They might have won that game with five interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true, though. Come on, man. They weren't all on him. But I think from what we have seen, and again, I'm talking about, you know, a fraction, a snippet of practice, um, you know, maybe like five percent of practice. Um, 
or I mean a, a one fifth of practice. Uh-huh. Um, you know the the interceptions seem to be down. He seems like he knows when he has to throw it away, which is kind of a, a big step for a passer. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, Matt Matt Piper did a little thing on Travis's hand last year, which you know at the time they were saying, oh he's fine, he can play. But now that it's 2014 and they're not trying to be competitive anymore, they're like, oh, yeah, actually, remember Travis Wilson's hand? It was really messed up. <laughs> he had a re- really bad injury. So, yeah, it's it's just there's a couple things going in Travis's favor, and it looks like he's going to be able to be a better player this year than he was last year. This is going to sound like a cheap question. It's not intended to be uh, inflammatory, but with him getting busted, with uh, having the, the, the drink in his hand a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, oh, making good decisions and stuff. Was there any disciplinary actions that you've uh, learned from the U, or is that basically handled in-house and Whittingham still has uh, Wilson's trust? Or vi- um, Wilson, uh, or is it just one of those things that they just don't even talk about, get swept under? You know, um, it's been brought up once to Whittingham, and he, he was pretty quick about dismissing it. He basically said, I've been happy with what Travis has done since the incident. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, I th- think he's really responded to that well. And as far as I can see, it's kind of water under the bridge. I mean, he's a 20-year-old who got caught at a concert. Like three months shy of his 21st yeah, or something. It's like, I mean, for for a lot of us, probably when we were 20 years old, that wouldn't be a serious thing. And yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's a terribly serious thing now. I think the one thing it reflects is maybe – Travis was a little naive to think at six foot seven and being a recognizable figure in the <laughs> state, he can get away with drinking a beer in a concert, but uh, without getting noticed. But you know, that's that's just kind of classic kid poor judgment. Yeah. Moving on on that, is there going to be any surprises on this depth charts that uh, Ute fans are going to be surpri- uh, excited about, or is there some players that are getting some uh, notice that we should keep our eyes on? Yeah, so I'm. Uh, the, they just released a depth chart this morning, and I think one of the more interesting things is that there are so many freshmen in the, in the secondary. Um, they have a couple safeties, Andrew Godfrey and Marcus Williams, who are now number two on the secondary, and, which is significant because their starting safeties, Brian Black and Tevin Carter, aren't considered totally 100% fully healthy. They're kind of keeping them out of a couple practices um, just to as a precautionary measure. But those kids might see some time this year. Um, and there's another kid, Trayvon Hobbs, at cornerback. So that the Utes um, may have kind of struck some gold in their last recruiting class uh, with some impact guys. Um, you also want to look for, in terms of new guys, um, Kalen Clay at the slot receiver position. Um, he might have a little bit to prove still. Um, because because the guy in front of him is pl- playing pretty well, Delshawn McClellan, and then also the running back position is going to be kind of interesting. Um, today, they released the top two with Bubba Pool, who was the starter last year, and Troy McCormick, um, who's this five-eight uh, speedster. And conspicuously absent is Devonte Booker, who in the spring at times looked like the best running back Utah had. Um, but just apparently has struggled with ball security issues in the last week. So um, he, he's going to have to do some things this week to kind of secure his, his running back, uh, his, role, his uh, desired role in the offense. That's surprising because he did look good in the, in the spring. I mean, he was making cuts. He was making people look foolish. Mm-hmm. And, but you got to hold on to the – you got to hold on to it. Right, Falk? 
That's, yeah, we that's all Thurman know Thomas. Aaron Falk and not holding on to it. <laughs> Thurman Thomas couldn't find his helmet. That's a different story. <laughs> With uh, On the defensive side of the ball here for pass rushing, how are the Utes going to do this year? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. They lose Trevor Riley, who um, was one of the all-time great pass rushers. I think he was tied for fifth in career sacks, and he had eight and a half sacks last year. And the Utes were second in the nation um, in sacks, uh, which seems surprising, but – um, you know, they face so many passing teams that they, they get a lot of opportunity. So, I mean, they they got to find some guy who in this group is going to be able to either replicate that or they're going to have to do it by platoon, which seems more probable now. So they're, they're one guy back that they feel really good about is Nate Orchard, and he's kind of the all-around, like solid against the pass, solid against the run. He's a senior. Um, he's a good athlete, and he's just one of the most respected members of the team. And then – there's three other ends that are really in this right now, with including his backup, Peter Talmupenu, from Timpview, who's a pass rush specialist, but might only come in on third downs. And then Jason Fanaika and Hunter Dimmick on the left-end side. And those are two kind of big bruiser-type guys who, mm-hmm. um, you know, Hunter Dimmick is, didn't really show off how, how well he can ras- rush the passer last year because – he, Trevor Riley would take some of his downs at, th- at that end spot. And then Jason Fanike is a transfer from Utah State who they're really excited about. He's a 270-pound dude, and he just is kind of a freak in that he can he can move like a DN, but he's built like a D-tackle. So that's who they got, and they're hoping that somehow they can replace some of that production that Trevor Riley uh, – Brought, took with him when he graduated. Is this gonna? So, if you had to describe the team identity right now, as they're getting ready to go play Idaho State, I mean, is this? Do they? Are they? Just your gut feeling? Do they, are they ready? Is this a tough team? Are they gonna? Are they going to uh, surprise us a little more in the Pac-12? Okay, so so I think. I think they're a really they're, they're a team with a lot of solid players. What you have to look at though is a lot of the Pac-12 teams have have guys who you're like, okay, this guy's gonna be like a a first or second round draft pick. And I'm not really sure that the Utes have that right now. They you don't see one player kind of looking like a first round pick. Yeah, I mean, and there's a possibility that there could be some. I mean, you know, that especially maybe at the wide receiver position between Drez Anderson, and who was really productive last year, and Kenneth Scott, who's expected to be pretty productive this year. Um, and he's like a 6'3", big guy, and, and kind of has the build of an NFL guy. But you know, it's just like it compared to like the UCLA's and Oregon's of the world. I mean, and Stanford and, and some of the teams that Utah's gonna have to beat this fall. You know, I'm not sure the Utes have like that one difference maker that that everyone's like, okay, you got to watch this guy play in these in these crunch time situations. And a lot of the other teams of the Pac-12 do, um, um, and they usually have at least one guy on both sides of the ball like that. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of hope that maybe some guys surpass expectations. That's, that's going to be what has to happen for the youths to have a big year and surprise some people. With, uh, as you were talking about Oregon, Stanford, and such, uh, where, uh, a story came out of this Power Five. Uh, explain to the listeners, as well as myself, <laughs> exactly why this is significant and uh, how is this going to impact play for the youths. Okay, so uh, the, the first story that developed – last week was the NCAA approved a new power structure that will allow the Power Five conferences, which is, are the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, uh, the Pac-12, and, and uh, did I miss one? SEC. 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 
Okay. Biggest, yeah. most powerful. I, like, when I said ACC, them. and I was like, there was a C in there somewhere. <laughs> no, so basically the wealthiest conferences will have a somewhat limited ability to pass rules for themselves. And those rules will typically yeah, be Give about, some examples of that. So the rules are going to be mostly about how much money they can spend on their student-athletes. One of the biggest issues is what's called a cost of attendance stipend, which is um, basically so schools can cover, scholarships can cover room and board, right? Mm. So where you live and your food. They don't cover things like, hey, I want to fly home and see my family during winter break. Hey, I want to do, I have to do laundry. Pump hey, the brakes for one laundry. second on this. Would this include something like books, school supplies, uh, yeah, clothing stipends? Well, technically, the, the school should should be paying for, for school supplies, um, but... Yeah, it does. It does include just a lot of the things that, you know, we think of when we're just getting by. Yeah. So what basically now, theoretically, the power five have the chance to pass a rule for themselves that says, hey, we can give these student athletes uh, uh, money that covers the full cost of going to college, all those incidental expenses. We're going to give them money for that in their stipend So like two, two Southwest flights to go home for the holidays. Mm -hmm. uh, money for spring break. I mean, is that something like for them to go to Cancun? or where, Well, it's, where, I mean, I'm not sure much, it's Cancun money. No, but, but, I mean, you know, but I mean. How much Del Taco? How much 2 a.m. Yeah, Del Taco? <laughs> you can buy a ton, of, especially if you go on Taco Tuesday. Yeah. It's just that, that money goes a long but way. You're talking about the college experience. If we encapsulated probably the four of our college experiences, it was a lot of, you know, adventuring outside of school, uh, in and out of the classroom, you know, and obviously we weren't student athletes. But, I mean, where does – where – what point does a does the college say we're not providing that, or is that basically up to their own discretion? Pretty, uh, pretty, pretty much more <laughs> more than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the NCAA sets the has these rules, which was the other thing that happened that college athletes can only receive X amount of dollars because they're trying to preserve amateurism. They're trying to say hey, these guys are amateurs; they're not getting paid; they're getting compensated for all their expenses that naturally come with competing but that's it and so the other thing that went down was the O'Bannon decision which we were kind of waiting for for a while which basically said that the NCAA can still set a cap on compensation but it can't be nothing so student athletes have the right to earn money off their images and likenesses which means TV contracts, which is the big money thing, yeah. but then also like jersey the, sales, jersey sales and their Im, and their image on on other video parts game. Of the, yeah, you know if you put them in an EA right NCAA 2016. So basically, this judge 15. said the NCAA has to allow players um, at least or cannot set restrictions on players being able to make money from this, except for that they can put a cap on it up to five thousand dollars, which is roughly the cost of attendance. Uh, cost. Um, so, well, let me ask a question. So, the course of a week for uh, Wilson, uh, to you, how many hours is he putting in for football? So, the NCAA rules does have a restriction on this. So, it should be about um, in the 30s. I think it's, I think it's thir 35 to 32. But realistically, these 35 guys 35 to 32 hours a week. Yeah, but realistically, these guys put in more than 40. I mean, it's it's a job, you know. And and you talk to a lot of them, and and that's pretty much all they do. They and, and I think there is some um, issue players might have a little bit with, you know, we if, if, we, if I'm like a, a linebacker and I want to be really good 
And I, so I do extra lifts. I do more lifts than any of my teammates. I do extra film, and I play like an All-American that next year. There's no, you know, rise and fall mm-hmm. with their compensation. They just basically get what they get. And, you know, there, there's obviously some rewards that go to that. Maybe if I'm that great, I can parlay it into an NFL career and I'm getting my education. <coughs> but, you know, they're, they're, they, they do work more than 40 hours a week, and they kind of have this, this set limit on what they can receive in industry that's making a lot of money. Well, KMO, what do you, I mean, how do you feel about this? I mean, if a person's putting in 30 hours a week, like when you're in college, uh, if you had a part-time job at the aforementioned Del Taco, I mean, you're probably not going to work that many hours to pay for it. I mean, is this the death of amateurism? Amateurism died a long time ago. I mean, it's or just... Or is this now the official uh, yeah, death of it? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just putting a name on it, but it's, you know, we talked about this a little bit ago about... The whole idea of amateurism. The Olympics gave up on it a long time ago. And I think for a good reason. I mean, it, it's this idea of that, you know, back in, during the Cold War that the East Germans were amateurs. Mm-hmm. Come on, give me a break. Or that the Russian hockey team in 1980 was amateurs. Uh, what, what's your definition of amateur? It's uh, college sports. There's so much money involved in college sports with the television um, contracts. It's silly. It's absolutely silly. And so to try to say, well, those athletes are amateurs, it's just an attempt to keep a bigger part of the pie. You, when you have that much money, you don't want to give it up. Why Why would you want to when it, you're saying, oh, well, we're giving them scholarships, we're giving them books, we're giving them room and board, we're, they're getting plenty. Mm-hmm. Come on. It's a joke. Well, I mean, if that's the case where they're compensated with room and board, tuition, books, and maybe even a small stipend for stuff like that. If this is so much money involved with college athletics, why do they even need to attend class? Like, wouldn't there almost be a better emphasis for University of Utah? And I'm not using – I'll use any other school. Well, we're also – I mean, so – No, I mean – Most most student-athletes obviously do do follow the rules and do things, but, I mean – We're talking about the big two specifically. We're talking about basketball and football. It yeah, is. but yeah, and, and but that's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of that part of uh, this case was some some players came out. The Obama case is, is some players came out and said, "Hey, you know, I my my big priority was to play football. It wasn't to get an education." And the NCAA has has argued for years that the education is is its most valuable form of compensation, which is true. But then there's this subclass of football and men's basketball players. Who are doing it to for the sports? They're not doing it for an education. They're doing it to pursue professional activities at the next level, or 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 for whatever other reason. I mean, you know, that's why they have all those kids at Kentucky who go one year. I mean, well, can, it's, it's kind of it's kind of a joke. It's like but a can, the, in the can NBA. NCAA make the argument that because we're uh, reaping in so much money from football that we're uh, supplementing the girls' softball team, that we're supplementing the the the, women, the ladies' uh, soccer team or the boys' soccer team and lacrosse, uh, baseball. Uh, Rugby programs, you know, like swimming, you know, sports that really don't have the next level on there, unlike the, the, the big two that we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, that, but uh, that, that is one of the NCAA's arguments. Yeah. That is, they say, you know, hey, if you, if you destroy our amateur model, there's a lot of consequences for other people besides the football and, and men's basketball players that, you know, other sports may not survive under revised budgets. And, 
Um, another kind of argument they, they might have, I'm not sure if they did this during the O'Bannon trial, but you know, Title IX could come into play where, hey, we're spending more money on men's sports than women's sports, and we're dedicating more resources. Is that legal? So um, there's, there's a lot of weird things going on, and that's one reason why O'Bannon, the decision has been sort of, it, we, we can read it, but we also, it's kind of going to be murky with its effect, and also the NCAA is going to be tie, tied up in court for years. So, right, so I'm not going to put you on the spot because I know you cover the youth, but I'm going to put Falk on the spot because he doesn't. What do you think they should do? I mean, should should there be full compensation for this, or is the five thousand dollars that the O'Bannon case is uh, currently at right now is that enough? Is that enough to get a player by, or or should we just cut the crap on this and just let pay them? You know, put in put into a professional state. I have no idea. <laughs> free, I'm, I'm glad free, I put free you on market, the spot. Benny. Free market, Benny. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I I, I don't. I really don't have. I've, I've wrestled with this the same as probably everyone who watches college athletics. Um, it, it's hard to think of the alternatives, the, the models. And, and like you said, there are lots of, um, you know, problems down the line for, for everything else. I mean, football and ba- basketball pay for essentially all other sports. Yeah. However, is it right that, you know, I mean, Johnny Manziel was bringing in <laughs> so much money for for Texas A and M, and and he's you know he's not allowed to sell his autograph or or yeah. whatever. I mean, there there are changes that need to be made. I I don't know. I, I I certainly support these athletes getting some some level of compensation. I have no idea how to do that in in the best way. I Johnny mean, Manziel. That, now there was a quarterback who could underage drink <laughs> <laughs> at the golf course. At the, um, so. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll leave that to people much smarter than myself. But it's uh, it, it's something I, I, I definitely do believe that these guys deserve it's just, a higher level of compensation. Yeah, I, I, it's just kind of a weird just a situation because, you know, the NCAA and, and the schools use these kids to, to sell their program. Um, you know, what the NCAA argues is, is that, you know, they the, the kids use the program to sell themselves. But – uh, for for future opportunities and all that good stuff, um, but you know, Chucky Keaton on a pair of tickets, Travis Wilson on a, on a pair on a billboard. You know, yeah. it's uh, these guys are on TV commercials, and and because it's commercial enterprise, yeah. so it's just kind of a tricky situation. You know, I don't know how it's going to be resolved. Um, I suspect that the, it, the way things are blowing, that players will receive some kind of compensation more than the the cost of attendance. Uh, at some point in the next couple of years. Um, I'm, but I'm also not convinced that it's going to be a free market system and a free-for-all. Take a take a, a, a vis-a-vis Friday Night Lights, uh, like in Odessa, where they have those mega stadiums uh, for high school games that, you know, they pack in 25,000 people and stuff like that. Could, I mean, with, with this logic, uh, could you not say that the kids at that high school level in much larger football states than Utah – they, even they, at the high school level, they deserve a, a cut of the, the, the door. You know, I mean, the concession sales. You know, you, you, pack this, you pack people in there, you sell a lot of Slurpees and popcorn. You know, it is, it, we, you, I mean, I guess my concern would be more, where does it end? Or is, mm-hmm. why do we have any restrictions at all? I mean, and to, to what Falk had just said about a free market, you know, maybe it's really not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be partially driven by, you know, I think it's going to be partially driven by the market, and I think 
the college football market is just so so big and makes so much money that that's why this has come up in college football and not necessarily um, high school football where the take is, you know, in Texas, some of those programs can have a great take, but they also, you know, they, they put out $2.5 million for a stadium and that they have yeah. to, re, you know, com, uh, recoup that money. Well, that, that's not where I was going with that, but oh. that was a good point, but yeah. it's just, it's not the same kind of market. Mm. It's, it's, you know, college football is a multi-billion dollar market. So, and, and if these kids had the option of going pro, a lot of them would be making a lot of money, but they have to stay in school for at least three years. And, and so, yeah, it's, I, I think it's kind of a different beast for college football and uh, kind of a different, uh, different market. Have you had a chance to talk to any of the athletes about this decision this week, or, is, uh, or have you been limited with the, uh, the time that you've had on the I field? Mean, they're still jocks. They still, they still don't understand. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's, it, it, like I said, even people who study this for a living, it's very murky what this mm. means. And you know, if you're a high, if you're a college player, it, it, like half of those guys, it's not like even going to affect because the decision wasn't going into effect until the summer of 2016. Yeah. So it's like most of those guys aren't even going to be there. And then you know, just the just with the legal maneuvering, the legal tango that could go on. You know, you never know when that money's going to show up for those guys. How much it's going to be. You know what what form it's going to take. Is it going to be part of their checks? Mm-hmm. You know, it's they, they there's no way you can visualize how it would affect your life right now if you're an athlete. With uh, the season coming up, uh, obviously on the 28th, you got Idaho State. I feel like I'm promoting this this match while there's no reason. You to. should be compensating you. Dude. Yeah, I should be. Yeah, I, I will take one half of one percent of the door for this. But uh, are you excited to kind of? Uh, get out of the gate, start really covering them, watch some games, you know, uh, with, with you and Piper, how are you guys going to be uh, breaking this down uh, for the game coverage? Yeah, um, so Matt's going on slightly more trips than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's going to UCLA and Stanford and probably Colorado. But uh, I, got, I got Michigan. Mm-hmm. I, I punched him out for that one well, um, question, it's on the bucket list. Well, okay, so you've got Michigan circled on the calendar. Um, yeah, it's yeah. going to be the first – a really exciting game, and obviously it's a great venue, historical mm. venue, um, well-known well known power. And it actually is kind of a toss-up match since Michigan kind of had its own sort of fair to middling season last year. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, if Kyle Whittingham can take advantage of the opportunity. Awesome. Well, as we're wrapping this up for this week, uh, we once again, we owe you a mailbag, but we just haven't gotten that put together. Um, if you've listened already to the 39th Minute of this podcast, it means you're interested in what we're talking about. So go to iTunes, give us a nice little review. Uh, five stars, please. Just uh, out of your mercy, the goodness of your heart, please do that. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to be kicking off our high school football coverage, and we'll be bringing in the gang, doing some previews for the 22nd, uh, which is a kickoff for uh, 5A through 1A. Uh, lots of great matches, stories, and teams that we will be talking about. So, uh, anything out there, Camo? No, nah, I think Goon covered it all. <laughs> Kyle, where, where can I get a Power 5 sticker from my car? My my Pac-12 bumper sticker is getting Yeah, well, your alma mater isn't in there, I don't, I don't believe. <laughs> no, it's, it's certainly not. Let's move on. All right, so <laughs> for Kyle Goon, Aaron Fall, Kevin Winter-Morris, my name is Ben Raskin. Thanks for listening, guys. Take care.